the VCA Voice podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marie Curl. Our goal with the VCA Voice is to showcase how VCA Animal Hospitals is taking care of the future of veterinary medicine. We'll bring our purpose to life through meaningful conversations about care, our culture, and the communities we serve. On today's episode, I'm happy to welcome Lisa Gillespie. Lisa is the Regional Operations Director for the Southeast Region, SE04, which includes Southwest Florida. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for agreeing to join. I think that it's going to be a great episode. We want to hear about your hospitals and hear how things are going. And to start off with, why don't you tell me a little bit about your journey in veterinary medicine and with VCA? Well... I started with VCA in 2000. I had previously been in human medicine in different departments, gastroenterology, ear, nose, and throat, but I I had stopped working um, in order to care for my children. And we got to a point where I was ready to have just a little part-time job, something I could enjoy. And I thought that this would be a great field. You know, I love animals. I started as a part-time Um, customer service rep at VCA Rock Creek and quite honestly, just quickly fell in love with the field, with the people, the clients, and it's wonderful to spend your day, you know, with the furry loved ones. How did you go from being a customer service representative to your current position? I started, you know, as a CSR and I quickly found that um, the hospital was continually needing technicians and vet assistants. And in my mind, I thought if I can do catheters on people, I could certainly do them on a cat or a dog, which is a complete lie because (laughs) it's so different. But I had wonderful head tech, Kathy Griffin, and um, a wonderful doctor. Um, His name was William Newsom, who Mm -hmm. took me under their wings and taught me everything I needed to know to be an exceptional a veterinary assistant. From there, you know, they needed a hospital manager. And I thought, well, I, I could probably do that. I can take that on. So I became a hospital manager of one of the smallest hospitals in our region at that time. Um, and then eventually became the manager of one of the largest hospitals in our region. Um, and I dabbled in uh, the regional tech role uh, as a trainer for a while. And then I became area manager. And um, for some reason, they had faith in me and thought I could do <laughs> the operations job. So I thought, well, let's give that a try and see how well it goes. <laughs> how hard was it going from being a hospital manager and working in one location to going to multi-site management? Um, it was a challenge. You know, I think the hardest thing in leadership is managing people and getting them to understand both sides, not just their own. Um, So it just kind of escalates it um, to the next level. I always like to tell my managers, you know, I've, I've been in almost every role in the hospital. So I have confidence in knowing what they're going through. I'm never more than just a step away from the chair. So let's come up with ideas and strategies that are going to work for everyone in the hospital. (music) 
I'm going to shift gears now a little bit. The main reason I asked for you to join us is that you lead our hospitals that are in the region that has been impacted by Hurricane Ian. Can you tell me when you first started worrying that your area, your hospitals might be affected by that storm? So for me, I've been in Florida since 1968. I've weathered a lot of storms. I've watched a lot of newscasts and predictions on where these storms are, how they kind of act. Um, for me, the biggest concern was when we started noting that the Tampa Bay had drained of mm. water, which was pretty significant. I've never seen that happen in the state of Florida before. For me, my Southwest hospitals were just on the cusp of the cone, as they say. So they give you a predictive cone mm -hmm. that says the eye of the storm can, can hit anywhere in this region. And unfortunately, people like to think it's going to be a dead center. And that's not really how these storms work. When the storm was going across Cuba, Normally, you'll see them shift if they hit the mountains of Cuba mm -hmm. or if they hit the flatlands, it'll, it'll shift. Well, it didn't shift. And that's when I just knew that it was going to be a direct hit. It was not going to Tampa, no matter what anyone was saying, it was going to hit my hospitals. I reached out to Stephen Kay, who's my um, senior regional vice president, mm -hmm. and said, Steve, um, I need you to understand that I've got to get these people shored up and closed, and they need to be able to have time to get to safety wherever that is. Mm -hmm. All five of the hospitals are in flood zones, and it looks like this storm is going to directly hit Sanibel, um, which would impact the storm surge directly. So mm -hmm. we got a plan to get the hospitals closed up early. We transferred pets from one hospital to another. We tried to get clients to pick up if they could. Some were evacuating anyways and wanted their pets. Some were unable to. We tried to make sure that staff would have access to the hospitals so that they could get any last-minute supplies, evacuate those who needed to evacuate, and get to safety. How many associates total do you have in your region and how many were in this storm area and how many hospitals? I know that you mentioned five hospitals that were in flood zones. So I have a total of 12 hospitals that I oversee. Mm -hmm. Seven of my hospitals are on the east coast mm -hmm. of Florida, which is South Florida. It's kind of like the suburbs of Fort Lauderdale. And then I have the five hospitals in the southwest Florida area, which are um, Sanibel, Cape Coral, and Fort Myers areas. There's 110 associates um, just in those five hospitals. Was everyone able to evacuate and get to safety when that was called for? In this case, Lee County did post evacuations. People chose to leave and then others chose to ride out the storm. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the storm didn't turn and it was a direct hit. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they were prepared for the surge or the flooding that took place. Yeah, those are always really difficult to predict. How about your own family and home? How close were you to the impacted area? 
So I live on the East Coast of Florida. Okay. Um, I'm about two and a half hours away from those hospitals. So we we didn't see much. Um, we just saw a significant amount of rain. Mm-hmm. You know, Florida is known for its summer storms as it is. Yeah. And to me, this was no worse than a summer storm for the East Coast hospitals. There was a bit more wind, but not not anything that I would have thought would put us in peril. Living in Florida where these storms happen, how do our hospitals help our clients to prepare for taking care of their pets during a storm and evacuating with pets? Is that a routine part of conversation in those hospitals? It is, especially as we approach storm season. So hurricane season runs June 1st through November 30th. Mm -hmm. So we start preparing for storm season in May in my region. We'll go ahead and pull out our supplies, check them, make sure they're current, there's no expirations, decide on what we need to replace and get those supplies before storm season. Mm -hmm. Once a storm is impending. It's very difficult to get supplies because everybody's out trying to get the same things. So we like to prepare in advance. As far as our clients go, you know, we'll start doing microchip specials. Like, hey, if your pet's not microchipped, this is the number one way we can return them to you post-storm if they happen to get out. Mm. And then also we'll start talking to them about have a copy of your pet's records, make sure your microchip is up to date with registration and emergency contacts. Make sure you have at least a month's supply of your pet's medication because you never know if the hospitals are significantly damaged. What if we can't get them reopened as quickly as possible. So we start posting things on Facebook and social media. We also do email blasts. And then we have information that we pass out in the hospitals directly to the clients. That's mm, so important. And, and especially the piece about microchipping. And I've done some disaster response and responded after storms such as this. And the number of lost pets is pretty staggering, actually, that occurs. So any way that you can identify them and the best way to try to identify them is to make sure that they have great identification and and our microchips. I really appreciate you bringing that up as well as the preparation steps. Yeah, I actually have a really great story that happened just after the storm. Uh Uh, Good Samaritan found two Rottweilers running around and they were just babies. Um, And he had lost his home and was trying to leave the city. So he saw team members there taking care of patients that were at the hospital. And he pulled up and said, listen, I found these two. I can't take them where I'm going. Can you take them in? So the team said, well, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, They brought them in. They scanned them. uh, They reached out to the microchip company. And unfortunately, they pets were not registered. Wow. So we gave them the hospital information and I had great support with associates in the hospitals. Um, Brandon McPherson, who's the office manager at Miracle Mile, he left his information with the microchip company. And two days later, the owners were looking for the pets and were able to get them back because of the microchip, even though it wasn't registered. A lot of times when they're not, we still aren't able to reunite them with the owner. So Mm -hmm. that's a a really important part that people need to to have. Like every January 1st, you go through certain things, check Mm -hmm. your microchip registrations. You, You know, sometimes if your phone number changes or you move, you forget about those little details and it's so vital. 
is, is everyone okay? All of our associates okay? And how long did it take you to find out about their safety after the storm? So luckily, all 110 associates are accounted for and well, Wonderful, including their immediate families. Mm-hmm. It probably took us about four days to get an I'm okay from everybody. Okay. And unfortunately, you know, there's no power, so telephones aren't working. Cell towers were down. So you you basically wake up to what's essentially a war zone mm-hmm. um, the next morning where it's just complete devastation and you're just, you know, trying to wing it basically with, you know, is everyone okay? What supplies do you need? Who's not accounted for? Um, we have a very special doctor who rode out the storm on Sanibel Island. Oh. And um, I don't know if you had seen on the news, but the whole causeway basically was washed away. Mm-hmm. She had 12-foot storm surge come up into her home. And it was all her, her husband could do to get their 90-year-old mom up um, to the second floor. And they rode out the rest of the storm, hoping the building would survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think it was close to three days before we were able to get word from her um, that she was air flighted off uh, the island and is safe. Mm -hmm. They're all okay, right? Yes, everybody's okay. Yeah. Wonderful. So what were the most immediate needs that people had after this kind of a storm and what kind of losses did people experience? So for me, I had three out of five of my hospital managers lose their homes to uh, flooding and the Mm -hmm. storm surge. It was difficult because you plan on these storms and you have your supplies, but then the water comes in so abruptly and it washes or damages all of the supplies. Mm -hmm. So that was the biggest thing, getting supplies to them Mm -hmm. because there's no gas. Luckily, Gina Lindell and Kimberly West um, with VCA were able to get us drop shipped supplies for 110 associates for right. three days worth of supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, we had them dropped into two different hospitals and then all the associates could just go to the closest hospital for them and take what they need. So that was just a spectacular assistance because at that point they were really desperate for food and water. How are our hospitals doing? You said there there are five that are in the storm area and they were all closed during that time. Are they all reopened? What's what's going on with the hospitals? So out of the five hospitals, four are reopened. Mm-hmm. Um, the site on Sanibel sustained some pretty significant damage and has remained closed mostly um, because of the damage, but also because you can only go if you're a contractor or you live on the island. Okay. The other hospitals, Chiquita, they lost their whole roof and a window blew in. So they sustained um, some pretty significant wind and water damage. Mm -hmm. Um, We were able to go in and take out the water damage, tarp the roof and get the hospital open. Um, We're super excited. They're getting their roof this week. Um, (laughs) So it's those little steps that you just have to say, yay, that's a win for us. Coral was my next hospital that was damaged. Um, The main hospital only had a minor roof leak, but their 
secondary building, which houses their catnap in and their mm-hmm. top dog grooming was a complete loss. They wow. lost their roof and the inside is going to have to be completely gutted. The wind just took the inside of the hospital straight down to the studs. So, but then you have a hospital like Miracle Mile who just, you know, had some minor wind damage and we went in, we had a GC go in, assess all the buildings, make sure that they were safe. We took out any water damaged areas, assessed if we could open safely, and then, you know, slowly one by one we got the hospitals reopened. What kind of support does it take to get a hospital reopened again after such damage occurs? Significant. (laughs) Significant. Um, Honestly, one of the best things that took place is that Kimberly West stepped up and Mm -hmm. said, here, let me be your single point. Any issues, anything that you need, filter it through me and she would get it out to all of uh, the different departments. Mm-hmm. So IT was a tremendous support. Scott, mm. Elliot, their team, you know, we shut down servers and then had server issues trying to get them back up. Because Sanibel was not going to be reopened, we took the Sanibel team and got them back to work at the Coral Hospital mm. um, because originally they were sister hospitals in the acquisition. Um, so there was some logistics with that because we needed to set up remote desktops to access the Sanibel client information. Telephones were an issue. Baywood had no telephone system. Their provider was a very small local and that local company is still not up and running. Mm -hmm. So Jerry Smith and the IT team were able to get their 8x8 phone system, brand new phone system launched within a week of the hospital being down. So pretty remarkable how resourceful and supportive the home office and everybody that works, you know, outside of the hospitals were to assist and support the teams and anything we needed. You know, it's just been very heartwarming. How did the pets that we were caring for during that time of the the clients who just couldn't come and get them, did they all do okay? And how do we provide care for them? Yeah, that's a great question. So we did only take in those who really needed to have shelter during the storm. Those from family members that were evacuating or um, we had a lot of first responders, pets in the hospitals. We looked at each hospital and what their flood zone was. We made copies of all of their information. So before the hospital teams left, they emailed me copies of all of the patient information. And then we had a list of who was going to be the first, second, third, fourth contact down the list of who's going into the hospital post-storm, who lives closest, who's going to be able to care for them. At Baywood, that hospital is kind of low in Cape Coral. And because Chiquita is about 10 minutes from them, and Chiquita is a big two-story concrete block hospital, and Mm -hmm. they do have a full generator that'll support the hospital, 
And they already had boarders, plus they had a doctor who was going to stay and, a, and two staff members that were going to ride out the storm. We decided to transport and transfer the patients from Baywood to Chiquita. And that really only left me three hospitals, three out of the five with pets in the building, mm-hmm. um, which I think was a really important decision that was made. All of the pets were fine. They did really, really well um, post-storm. Associates were able to go in and care for them. You know, it's not the perfect solution because, you know, two of the hospitals didn't have power. So there was no air conditioning, but they were well cared for and they were safe. And that Mm. I think is the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. How did people pull together and support one another? Yeah, you know, there's nothing like a disaster to bring out the best in humanity. Yeah. I had team members from all the different hospitals working together. Initially, we weren't able to get strong communications from everyone because of mm-hmm. cell phone issues. And I had hospital managers who had devastating loss who needed to be home, and other team members stepped up into the role. You know, it gave the managers a chance to kind of just absorb the shell-shocked feeling of of what they've lived through, you know, and then you have the whole community. They all collected supplies. They were all there supporting um, the hospitals and myself as much as possible. We all brought supplies in. My own family, I have a brother who's a sheriff's officer. He collected supplies. And then I have a hospital manager on the East Coast. And then myself and my son, we did a supply run as well. Um, we had 1,150 gallons of water donated that wow. we trucked over as well as additional supplies. And I think that really helped the associates that needed the most get through those days until power could be restored or they were able to get temporary housing. What was your biggest surprise during and after this storm? My biggest surprise is how quickly everyone was able to mobilize Mm -hmm. to support the hospitals, VCA, Mars. The support we had from the company on a human level was just heartwarming. And then everybody in the state, even though other hospitals sustained uh, damages as well, not to the extent that these hospitals did, but Mm -hmm. Everybody was, what can I do? How can I help? So Lisa, what can you tell me about the Better Together Fund? So I first became aware of the fund as a rod probably 12 months ago. Associates are able to apply after a natural disaster or even in times of domestic abuse for financial assistance, essentially, through the Better Together Fund. Mm -hmm. And I think the number is around 60, 40 or 60 that applied for assistance. I know my managers that lost their homes applied, and they received monies directly into their account within Mm -hmm. three days for them to utilize for supplies, temporary housing. You know, there have been a few that have come to me and said, you know, in tears, thank you, thank whoever is in charge of this, because I wouldn't have survived without it. And on the flip side, too, is, you know, I've had associates say, well, what can I do? And the the most important thing is donate to this 
fund directly because it does go to support our associates. And it has been just a tremendous help. Oh, that's good to hear. And I was really happy we started the Better Together Fund. I think it's been a couple of years ago now, a year and a half at least. And it's possible to do a direct payroll donation so that a little money goes every month into Better Together. And I feel really good about that because I know that it helps our associates who have an immediate need at the time of their need and the funds are accessible to them. So I'm so glad that your associates were able to take advantage of that. Yeah, it's been tremendous. It's just one more reason why you admire and love working for a company like VCA. To me, it's just, you know, sprinkles on your cupcake. <laughs> that's a great that's a great way to put it. We're about out of time, so I I think I'll close with a question. What advice would you give to hospital teams, managers, and field managers? How do you prepare for any kind of a disaster or get ready for something of this nature? That's a really great question. Florida has hurricanes. Other states have hurricanes. Some have blizzards. Some have fires. I think the best thing we can do is to understand how weather impacts us and to be prepared for whatever it is in your area and look at those preparations and have them on your calendar to check, do I have the supplies I need if this were to happen so that you're ready before it happens? Because once it starts happening to you, it's really difficult to get prepared. You know, it can be a bit chaotic. Definitely be proactive about communicating with your clients during your annuals. Hey, we are in a hurricane zone. Your pet's not microchipped. We should really do this. These are the reasons why. And then, you know, I always say people before processes first, Mm -hmm. you know, take care of yourself, take care of your people. There is a heavy weight of emotions that get carried post um, disaster and we all desire to fix it but there's no magic wand. It does take time. So you really have to kind of just pull back and address each problem as it arises. And then um, most importantly, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help or a shoulder to lean on. It's amazing how much support we have in BCA and with Mars and in each individual hospital. And it's just an enlightening moment when you've gone through it and you see how much is really there for you. So, Well, Lisa, thank you so very much for sharing your story with us and for joining me on today's episode. It's really inspirational. I'm I'm very sorry that our hospitals and teams have suffered this loss and have gone through this and am grateful for you for helping them and for everyone pulling together. So thank you so much. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing. Don't forget to leave a review to let us know your thoughts and share the episode with friends. Follow VCA Animal Hospitals on social media at LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more inspiring stories, visit our website at vcavoice.com. Voice.com.